Hello and welcome listeners to another episode in the Let's Talk About Grief series. I'm Anne, a grief and loss facilitator and author of Grief's Abyss, as well as your host. Our interviews recently have been exploring how my guests have not only experienced great loss in their lives, but they have learned to navigate their grief and find themselves living really different lives, ones that they could never have imagined. My guest today, Ivan Maisel, a sports writer and author of a new book, I Keep Trying to Catch His Eye, is a memoir of loss, grief and love. And I'm delighted to be in interviewing him here today. And uh, we'll hear what Ivan has to say on the subject on grief and loss. Welcome, Ivan. Well, thank you so much for having me. Oh, our pleasure to be able to talk about one of my favorite subjects. I know that sounds a bit weird, but it's lovely <laughs> to I be agree. able to do so. Yeah, yeah. Now, before we get right into what brought you to this, I just have a question because I'm curious to know the significance of your title. I keep trying to catch his eye. It's not one that you would normally associate with loss. So when I saw that, it was like, oh, okay. And then I understood a memoir of loss, grief, and love. So what prompted you to be to that title? So the wallpaper on my phone is, you can see that's our three children and our two girls are looking right at the camera. Yeah. And Max is looking up and away. Which, oh. which was what Max did. He hated to have his photograph taken, which was ironic because Max was a photographer, but maybe not ironic. He loved taking photos. He just didn't like having his photograph taken. So mm -hmm. he would do it when forced to for family events. And this was his sister's college graduation. So it was a, you know, a big event, but he didn't look at the camera and Three or four years ago, right, just when this book was beginning to coalesce in my head, I was looking at my wallpaper photo one day and I'm like, come on, Max, look at me. Yeah, just okay. look at me. Yeah. And uh, so I keep trying to catch his eye. Oh, that's how it came about. Wow. Yes. Um, tell us a little bit about Max's story. Well, Max was uh, our middle child, uh, our only son. and. Uh, was always different, probably somewhere in an unspecified place on the learning spectrum. Uh, all we ever learned was what he wasn't. You know, he wasn't autistic. He didn't have what used to be called Asperger's, but he, he had trouble reading social cues with one-on-one -on -one interaction. And by nature, and I don't know where one started and the other stopped, but he was shy and withdrawn. But very smart, wickedly funny, with a very dry sense of humor, deeply uh, empathetic, especially to animals, but also to people. It really tried yeah. hard to help people. Uh, and what we thought was making his way. You know, we, we just assumed that when he got to college, he would find his people and blossom. Uh, mm -hmm. What we didn't realize, or either really was no way of knowing, but, you know, that. that space between 18 and 25, especially for young men, is is fraught with uh, issues. And he uh, spun into depression and, and had always had issues with depression, but yeah. he just spun into a spiral. And we 
he was away at college. We weren't there every day. And mm-hmm. you know, all of a sudden you get a call one day. A phone call that no parent wants to hear. No, it was a, uh, a Monday night in February and a terrible winter, the winter of 2015 in New England and, and American Northeast. And I got a call from a, a sheriff in Monroe County, which is where Rochester, New York is, which is where RIT is located. Max was a junior at RIT, Rochester Institute of Technology. And the sheriff said, you know, there's a car registered to you in the parking lot at Lake Ontario, at the park fronting Lake Ontario, north of Rochester. Knew exactly where he was talking about. My brother-in-law and his wife have a summer home on Lake Ontario, a mile west of that parking lot of that park. Max had been going there every summer for nearly his entire life. That what his familiarity with Rochester was partly why he chose to attend RIT. Uh, and you know, I knew instantly what had happened. I mean, there was no other explanation. The the police wondered to us, well, perhaps he's gone on walkabout, you know, what the Aussies call walkabout. Perhaps he just needed a break and he's gone. Well, that was not Max's personality. And I just knew. And it became evident, you know, looking at his, you know, his credit card activity stopped and his friends didn't know where he was. And we presumed he had died. And then when the water warmed up, eight weeks later, his body surfaced and some poor fisherman in the middle of April found him. So, oh gosh. Yeah. So, you as a family were left sort of in limbo, pretty certain, but always, I would imagine, hoping your fears would be, wouldn't be realized. We understood. Uh, there was no other rational explanation but that he had drowned. He And I forgot a very important detail. Someone happened to be in the parking lot on this bitterly cold night in their truck just sitting there, and they watched Max drive up, get out, and walk to the pier. And he didn't return. The guy sat there for 45 minutes, and when he didn't return, God bless this guy, he called the police. Okay. And, and so they were aware instantly what probably happened. And mm-hmm. the city police and the county sheriffs have a scuba team. They searched the area in front of you know that park for three weeks in 38-degree water. Oh, my. And they told us that we might never recover his body. So that was the limbo. Mm. But in terms of wondering you know, what had happened to him, we were pretty sure that he was dead and okay. uh, went ahead and held a memorial service uh, and just began to grieve uh, because mm-hmm. that was the only explanation for what had happened and, and why not begin to grieve. Okay. That must have been such a shock for the family to receive that phone call. And then have to go and visit the spot where your son died. Oh, you know, and the family has a reunion at my brother-in-law's home every summer. So we're right there. And, you know, there's two ways you can view that. Either it's too difficult for you or to return. But 
I, you know, honestly, my attitude about this and, and part of the reason I wrote the book has been, I can't change that Max died. Mm-hmm. But what I do from here forward is up to me. And just because this one really bad thing happened to me does not preclude other good things from happening. And mm. if I don't leave myself open to that joy, then I've lost again and I will continue yes. to lose. Absolutely. So it's a, it's a juggling act. I mean, you, yeah. you always have your grief right on mm-hmm. your shoulder and mm-hmm. you can't outrun it. You can't, you know, we, m- my wife Meg would say we don't do prepositions. You know, grief is not something you get over or you get through, but you have to learn to carry it with you. And if you can learn to carry it with you, then you can still experience good things too. So that, that was the point being, we still go to Rochester. We still, uh, Max's favorite and all of our favorite, uh, frozen custard places across the street (laughs) from the parking lot. You know, so we still walk up there when we go and, you know, it's, it's definitely a mixed bag, but you know, Mm -hmm. life's a gray area anyway. Yeah. So it sounds like, uh, I like how you put that you have a choice to make it sad or to get on with your own life, because if you don't, then you too, in a sense, have died, haven't you, by choosing to hold tighter onto your grief. And I would imagine just being surrounded by family and friends in a place you knew your son loved has to bring up the love and, and the fond memories of him bittersweet but i would imagine those those laughters and the fun times can kind of help to buoy you up yes i mean that you know he loved that he loved those summer family reunions uh and uh it's i think bittersweet is the perfect word you know initially that first year or two it was hard to be there i'm not going to pretend it wasn't yeah of course yeah again you know, so what am I, you know, what am I going to do? Not go see family? You know, it, we had uh, two weeks after Max's body surfaced, our nephew got married and we had to decide, are we going to go to the wedding or are we not? And this is when this sort of idea crystallized in my head. Well, if I don't go to the wedding, if we don't go to the wedding, then then we, we continue to lose. Uh, we spread that loss more to our family because we're not going to be at their, you know, my nephew's event. So yeah, honestly, a lot of it is fake it until you make it, you know, mm-hmm. but pretty soon you understand. And, and honestly, I kind of realized there's nothing I can do to stay where Max was, you know, mm-hmm. time moves on, things change. That all I could do was pick up of him what I could bring with me and keep mm-hmm. going. And yeah. that's uh, been what has sustained me. Yeah, sounds very wise. And I think so many of us can get caught up in that. Well, I don't want to move forward because it means leaving them behind. And what does that say about my love for them? And uh, I like how you said that's your way of bringing Max along wherever you are in your journey. He's always there. 
Sure. Your grief is always there. And, you know, the central tenet of the book that grief is love. Mm -hmm. And coming to that realization made the grief more palatable and made it easier to carry. And thinking of it as bringing Max along is is another way of looking at it. Uh, But you know, I kept thinking, why am I in so much pain? And and then I thought, well, because you loved him so much. And and as a journalist, you learn to telescope ideas into as few words as possible. And I thought, well, then the grief is equivalent to the love. And I didn't like the idea of grief as the price we pay for love. You know, yeah, I, that that's has, a common meme, isn't it? It is. And I just, you know, why, you know, it shouldn't be a cost. You know, it just is the love. And thinking of, of it as love makes it a more, a, a, a warmer and, I don't know if less painful, but at least more tolerable Yeah. Pain. Whereas when you think about the other way that, that's the price that you pay for loving somebody. To me, that's almost about closing down your heart. And that's the last thing you want to do. Because to me, I feel that grief cracks you open so that you can love more. That's how I look upon it. Well, that's a lovely thought. And uh, one issue that I have come to, had to make peace with is the idea of post-traumatic growth which was a phrase somebody, you know, sort of gave, I had these feelings and didn't really understand what they were. And they said, well, that's, that's what that is. And it's, mm-hmm. it's the idea that I'm a better, more, I'm a better person now because, because Max died. And, mm-hmm. and if you put it in those stark, in that stark language, you know, it, it makes me recoil. Absolutely. But the fact is Max did die. And as I said at the outset, you have a choice of how you're going to handle it. And, mm-hmm. and I, I learned to be more empathetic. I learned to be more open emotionally. Mm. And, you know, I, I, I suppose I have Max to thank for that. Uh, you know, I, obviously I would rather be the, uh, you know, emotional troglodyte that I was. <laughs> If it meant okay. Max would still be here, but that's not yeah. what the transaction is. Yeah, so. Yeah. Uh, so in a way, that is growth, whether you look at it, because you have learned so much more through that experience, not that you wish to have learned what you've learned through <laughs> <Yes>. it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but isn't yeah. that how we learn is through these challenges of life. If we were to stay nice and smooth we would never grow as a species either so i hear what you're saying about the post-traumatic growth and yes i can see where you would take um umbrage at that because you would much rather have max with you to take to all those games to see his evolution of life and those are the things I believe where the sadness and those emotions of the grief come in when you recognize those losses, which just keep continuing, don't they? On sure. what you, you know, I'll never know uh, who Max will would have been as a 
as an adult. You know, uh, he would yeah. be 28 right now. I'd love to oh, see. Oh, would he? Yeah, I would love to see. It's been seven years. I would love to see how he blossomed. You know, mm-hmm. and, and and what would his career have been? Where would he have lived? You know, who would he have met to you know as a partner in life? You know, I, yeah. You, and you have all those questions, and that's a well of sadness that sometimes wade into. But it's only natural. And yeah, you know, I I think one you talked about memes. One meme slash greeting card sentiment as I think of it is uh, a neighbor said to me who had lost her husband you know she said it's like standing at the shore and somewhat sometimes the waves wash over your ankles and sometimes they wash over your head but in both cases they recede and they go back out yeah and that really helped me because it made me understand that when I'm really sad, just let it happen and it will end mm-hmm. and be cognizant of it and and accept it. But you learn after a while, and that's a really hard lesson to learn at the out, you know, in the immediate aftermath of a death. Mm-hmm. But you then you end up, you have a good hour or you may have a good afternoon. And pretty soon you have a good day. Yeah. And you understand it's all temporal. Yeah, yeah, those initial stages almost feel like a tsunami. You're being hit wave after wave, aren't you? And sure. we don't want to be in pain or discomfort. So very often we'll just turn around and block it out and push it down. And I really appreciated what you said. You recognized it and okay, you sit with it and you just sort of allow it to happen and it passes. And I think that is the wisdom of our emotions. If we allow them, they will move through and on and out for sure. So Yes. Uh, you know, if you try to stiff arm it, your arm gets tired. Uh, that, that's, <laughs> you, know, that, that you can't hold it. You can't fight it. I mean, you can right. try to fight it, but you're, you know, yeah. it, you, that's a fight you'll never win. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. I am. Um, Recognized from my volunteer days with a local bereavement group, we had a huge suicide group and it was growing, especially through COVID. I realized that their grief is also compounded by the the amount of guilt they have. Why didn't I recognize? How didn't I see this? And they beat themselves up. Did you and Meg go through any of that? Uh, we did. Uh, Meg did. And I think that was, a, you know, a mother and a son uh, mm. relationship. But I just decided, and, and I had the great benefit. It wasn't anything I decided. But within the week that Max disappeared, I got a call from a woman that I grew up with who is on the faculty at Duke University School of Medicine. And our mothers were best friends. And uh, her name, this woman's name is Robin Gerwich. She is a expert on children and trauma. Mm-hmm. And Robin called me out of the blue and she said, you will never understand why he did this because you think rationally. And that is not a rational act. You have to understand you will never know why. A. Mm-hmm. Uh, and B, she said, unless someone says to you uh, at this hour, on this day, at this time, at this place, I'm going to end my life, you cannot stop them. 
I, and look, may have been a get out of jail free card for me, but that helped me a lot to understand it's an illness. Yeah. And understanding that it is an illness helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I think especially, at least in the States, just now coming around to understanding that mental illness is an illness. Yeah. We focused for most of my lifetime on the first word when we should be focusing on the second. I think for my parents' generation, they viewed cancer very similarly to this. You know, you didn't talk about it. Sometimes you didn't tell the person what they had. Mm -hmm. If you did talk about it, you whispered about it. And we brought cancer out into the open over the course of my lifetime, and the strides have been incredible. You know, we're just beginning that journey with mental illness. Yeah. I think we are more open about it. Uh, and, you know, and I think being more open about it has been part of the epidemic. People are more willing to say, I need help than mm-hmm. they used to be. Yeah. But uh, it needs sunlight. Mental illness it, needs sunlight. And, it definitely and, does. And, part, you know, and honestly, you know, we were very open about it, that Max ended his life. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want anybody to interpret us being quiet about it as shame. Mm. That we were ashamed mm-hmm. of Max. He was yes. sick. And he yeah. was, you know, he was our son. He was a great kid. We loved him. Uh, he was a great brother, you know, and and I just thought, what difference does it make? You know, he's he's gone. So what what are we protecting? Uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, mm-hmm. And if it and if somebody attaches stigma to his death, that's their issue. I'm not that's taking right. that on. I got enough yeah. to deal with. <laughs> exactly. You no. don't need the shame and the stigma either, do you? No. Oh. I, you know, you you know, especially in those early days, it was that first week I couldn't even complete a sentence. You know, your mind is just skittering. Yeah. And uh and I didn't want to have to keep up with who knew what, you know, mm-hmm. are we only going to tell immediate family? Are we only going to tell immediate family and friends? Uh, oh, you're a second cousin. Am I going to tell you? You know, I, I always kind of liked you. I guess I'll tell you. You know, I, I just thought, you know, just be open about it. And yeah, who cares? Yeah. Oh, you probably saved yourself a lot of angst by having that approach. Because I would imagine being so open then you left it open for others to support you, whereas they may have been left, or, you know, do I mention this? Or that's, you know, a taboo subject. Perhaps we won't bring it up, what have you. So I I think that's amazing that you had that foresight to be able to be so open about it. Well, people definitely tiptoed around us. Yeah. Uh, And that's really one of the principal reasons I wrote the book. Uh, oh, to help it? people understand what we what our lives were like, to help them understand what we needed from them, what people mm-hmm. who are grieving need from people trying to comfort them, and really to demystify it. You know, the first chapter of the book is called "Demystifying Grief," and yeah. I, I just felt like uh, you know people would you know they would come up to me and him and ha, and I didn't want to bring it up, and I would look at oh, them because okay. that was me. You know, mm-hmm. if I if I could gin up the courage to say anything, I said it once, and then I moved on. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they would come up to me and him and haw, and I would just look at them and I would smile so they knew I wasn't being a jerk. And I would say, well, good, because, you know, if you hadn't have brought him up, I wouldn't have been thinking about him. Yeah. I mean, you know, of course, it's all you think about. And of course, yeah, you you want it. The, the secret is you want to talk about who you lost. It keeps them present. You know, Absolutely. You want to know what you can do for me. Tell me a story about Max that I don't yes. know because my yeah. interactions with Max are over. Yeah. Give me a, give me something about him I don't know. And yes. uh, that still happens. You know, with, oh, wonderful. Yeah, with less and less regularity, but uh, mm-hmm. it does still happen. Mm, that must be one of those very precious, heartwarming moments when you get a new story about your son that you haven't heard before. Sure, yeah. No, we when the book came out, we had some people gathered some people together and, and invited Max's fourth grade teacher. And she oh, told me a lovely. wonderful story about shy, quiet Max being in the fourth grade play, fourth grade colonial play. And, you know, which okay. in England, you know, the colonial era is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he played a fiery patriot. And, and he, <laughs> he was pounding the table and yelling. And she said the whole the whole class was going, whoa, Max, okay. You know, they, they didn't think he was capable of that. And it changed how the kids That's- viewed him and interacted with him. And it just made wow. me grin for days. Isn't that interesting? So he was able to almost take on that character and step outside of the shy Max that everybody thought and be able to do so well in the play oh that must have been wonderful when you heard that exactly yeah and then and uh as i said it doesn't happen often anymore but it does Mm -hmm. occasionally you get a little gem like that yeah oh to put in your memory backs (laughs) now uh, you had mentioned that you wrote the book to sort of help demystify this whole thing i was going to ask you about that because when i was sort of going through, I came across a part that you had said that you didn't write the book for it to be cathartic, which I think a lot of people tend to do. So writing the memoir was your way of educating people? Yes. Yes. I thought to write a book that was cathartic was about me. And to write a book where I was just have been a biography of Max. Look, I love Max you know, obviously very much, but is he worth a biography? You know, that's, that's my, that's fulfilling my need, you know, to tell people who he was. I didn't like that idea of imposing on the reader. You know, to me, a a cathartic book is here. You, you pay me, you buy this book and I will vomit in your lap, you know, all my Mm. problems and all Mm. my pain and all my grief. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I thought if I can explain it, in a way that will help people understand what this is like the next time they lose someone the next time, because it's going to happen again, it, it happens to everybody. If you live long enough, it, 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 yeah. when you lose someone, when you are trying to comfort somebody who loses someone, you'll be better equipped. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was why I wrote the book. Okay. No, I really like uh, your reasons for that. Because I think it's so important 
for others to know how, if they're in that uh, same situation, have their child has died, then I think it gives them hope. Hope for them, knowing how you navigated it, and they can relate to your pain a little better. And also just being able to say to people, this is the help I needed. This is what I would have found comforting. Uh, and I think that's the educational piece, isn't it, that uh, we we need to help society with moving on. Sure, absolutely. And, you know, in terms of, of comforting grieving, we borrowed heavily and, and, and credited <laughs> Uh, the book Option B by Sheryl Sandberg and Adam Grant, which, you know, their model of of comforting those who are grieving made a lot of sense to us. You know, the, the circle of grief, there are concentric circles of grief with the, the smallest being the immediate family, then other family and close friends and on outward. And you comfort inward and you ask for comfort outward. You know, so don't come to me and need to be comforted. Comfort me. Don't say, if, is there anything I can do? Because then I, all of a sudden I'm becoming a, an event coordinator. Just mm-hmm. do it. You know, exactly. Come, come walk my dog. You know, come shovel my yard, my driveway. Come rake my leaves. You know, bring mm-hmm. me dinner. Uh, yeah. Don't wait for me to tell you, yeah, on this day. Just say, hey, I'm at the grocery store. What do you want? Or show up with a roasted chicken. I mean, you know, it's, it's just trying to put yourself in those shoes and understanding what that might feel like. Yeah. Cause when you're in the actual throes of grief, the last thing you can think about, Oh yes, I might like all this. <laughs> Rake yes. my lawn, shovel my driveway. You don't even have the bandwidth to know how you're going to get up the next day, let alone help somebody with that mental process. And also the people that attempt to connect with you. Oh, I remember when great aunt, somebody, friends, neighbor, whatever, (laughs) that, that, that happened to them. And it's like all of a sudden you're then turning around and comforting them again, aren't you? Rather than the other way around. Although I will say this, one thing that I, and and again, and I should have said this at the beginning, this is all me. You know, this is not what, how my wife dealt with it or our daughters. A lot of people said to me very quietly, uh, I lost a brother or, you know, my, my dad died in a car accident or whatever. And these were people that I had known 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. And had no idea. Mm. And understanding that they seemed from the outside to be living a full and, you know, quote, normal life. And then to learn that they were had been dealing with this all along. I did draw comfort from that. Thinking, okay, okay I, you know, this is, it's possible to move forward. Okay, so you took it the other way. You, you yeah. that gave you hope by the sounds of it. Exactly. You know, the, yeah, I think hope's a good word. At least that. Okay, the, there is a. I can, I can handle this. They handled it. You know, mm-hmm. and it's also funny. You know, and just how you decide to look at something. And mm-hmm. 
with all of this, you know, your mileage may vary, you know, but this is what worked for me and, and it just made sense. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, maybe it'll help somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. Because we've just given the listeners two potentially different perceptions. Some people feel this and you told me just the opposite and gave me very good reasons that you found it comforting. Other people would find it, well, I didn't know what to do with that. You know, do I comfort yeah. them? That sort of thing. Yeah. 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 You mentioned that your wife, Meg, and your daughters, they dealt with it differently. Did you find that you came together as a family to support or did everybody kind of go off and deal with it alone? No, it's a great question. And it's an important question. Uh, I'll tell you a story. Uh, so our our daughters, uh, our oldest at the time was, our daughters now both live in California, but at the time, only the older one was out there. And it took her a couple of days to get organized to be able to meet us in Rochester. And she took a red eye across country and we picked her up late one morning uh, at the Rochester airport. And we had walked about 10 feet in the airport lobby. And and you have to understand our, our oldest Sarah is reads everything. If it's a topic that she needs to know something about, she will just read everything she can find and quickly. Okay. So she gets off the plane. We've walked about 10 feet and she looks at us and she says, uh, are you guys getting a divorce? Because I read that 50% of parents who lose a child get a divorce. Yeah. <laughs> and I just looked at her. You know, uh, my first reaction was just to say, fine, and you, you know. Uh, <laughs> but I, I said, you know, no, sweetie, we're, we're not going to get a divorce. And it, part of that is the relationship that Meg and I had already mm-hmm. you know we mm-hmm. i grew up jewish in the deep south uh, my wife grew up catholic in upstate new york okay. we had we had many years of accommodating one another and mm. and the key to keeping a relationship together after a traumatic experience like this is not judging the other yeah. you know, not judging the partner not judging the children kind of you do what you need to do Mm-hmm. Uh, because it can very quickly devolve into, well, I'm crying all the time. Why don't you cry? Well, I go to the cemetery all the time. Why don't you go? You know, or vice versa. Why do you cry all the time? Move on. You know, and we just decided you do what you need to do and I'll be here for you. And all we said to the girls was, we don't care how you grieve, but you have to grieve. Okay. You have to Is get it out right? of you because if you don't control how it comes out of you, then it will control how it comes out of you. And that may not be at an opportune moment in your life. So deal with it. Sarah, our oldest, went straight to a grief counselor and did her work. And after a while, the grief counselor said, I can't help you anymore. You're you're ready to move on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Elizabeth, our younger daughter, took her a little while. And she was just starting college. And it was very easy to run away from home and go to college and be this mm-hmm. new person. Mm-hmm. So she was slower to, to deal with it, but she did it on her schedule and, and on her time. And, and she dealt with it as well. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, grief is very patient, isn't it? It will <laughs> wait. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, yeah for sure. Uh, and in opportune moments, it can pop out. Uh, definitely and sometimes as you said not in ways that you want it can come out as anger anger on the freeway for instance (laughs) sure or snapping at somebody you love and you know you're not mad at them you're mad that you lost somebody and and, that's right and yeah any number of ways you know there's many ways as there are people and 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 exactly Yeah. yeah, depends on that person's coping thing. So getting back to you, you didn't divorce, obviously, and you put it down to the fact that you you both allowed each other the space to grieve in the way that you needed to grieve. And I love that you were able to sort of support your daughters by telling them that you need to grieve. Yes. Yes. It was, uh, to me, it didn't seem like a, it just seemed, uh, well, of course, you know, I grieved by opening this laptop uh, how do i best communicate it's by typing yeah uh, so i would just get up and pour all my grief into my laptop which mm-hmm. and that was also sort of a 5 years later a foundational point for for the book you know I, it, mm-hmm. it it was largely a diary but it sort of took me back okay this is what i was feeling in those first weeks days you know days weeks months and it just never occurred to me to do it any other way. I, I don't want to make it sound like, well, of course, because it, it was obvious to me to do it that way because mm-hmm. everybody, you know, that's not how, you know, it's not a very effective way of, of explaining something, but it just made sense to me that if we didn't deal with it, that at some point it was going to jump up and bite us. Mm-hmm. Intuitively, you, you recognize that. I think typing, writing, journaling, that's what I usually recommend to my clients can be so cathartic because it's actually getting you out of your head and into your hands. And I don't know if you know anything about energy systems. We Our hands are part of our heart chakras. So that makes sense when you get out of your head and push it. It's coming from a deeper place within you. So intuitively knew you knew just what to do so oh, that, I think that, that's- i'm glad to hear that i you know it <laughs> makes more sense you know but i i wasn't as i i alluded to earlier i wasn't great at dealing with emotions i'm still not i still wish i were better mm-hmm. uh but that's how i dealt with them i just and it, and it was cathartic it was sort of making them real and acknowledging them by putting them into a word document uh, i really didn't go back and read any of them for about three years. Mm. And then only went back to read them because a friend of mine, uh, well, he became a friend of mine, but a, a, a guy, a family lost a son Max's age to suicide. Okay. And, and I thought, Aww. I need to go back and see if I'm going to try to communicate with them. I need to go back mm-hmm. and see where I was then. So, okay. So yeah. you were able to help him through your own lived experience by going back in your notes. Yes. You've already alluded to the fact that you're not great at grief, but you've come better at being with the emotions. You're not fearful of them anymore. And right. like, how else, looking back, has your life changed? You know, I, I cover college football in the States, and I don't take the sport or the games or the events quite as seriously as I used to. It's just not that important. Uh, I used to think they were the be all and end all. You know, I just poured my heart into them. And oddly enough, 
by stepping back, I have become a better observer of them and, okay. a, and a, I think a better writer because I, I don't get, I save my emotions for other things. Wow. <laughs> it's much more of a, uh, a job, you know, uh, whereas before it was just, it, it's still a passion to me, but it's just why I have done it for so long. But by being able to separate myself from that and understanding its place in my life a little yes. better than um, knocking it down the ladder a few rungs. Okay. I think reoriented my life in mm. a better way, but it also made me a better writer. Good to know. It wasn't as, a, as important to your life as it once had because no. of your experience. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I, I would get so emotionally wrapped up into it that I would, it would get in my way. You know, oh, if it, wow. it was a, a really exciting game, I would, I'd have writer's block because I was just so caught up in it that I couldn't stop and go, wait a minute, my job here is to tell people what happened. Okay. Uh, and now, it also may be that I've done it for many, many years. And, yes, you know, yes. uh, but uh, that was sort of the kickstart, you know, having Max die and going through this and sort of uh, reorienting what was important to me. I, I look at it much more with a, with a colder eye than I used to. And you mentioned that you bring Max along with you. Do you talk to him? Do you I tell do. him that? Oh, wonderful. Uh, yeah, you know, a lot of sometimes when I wake up, I'll just say something to him or ask him how he's doing or tell him we miss him. Mm -hmm. uh, and that that helps. Uh, you know, his uh, Meg's father died recently uh, this winter and Aww. he had a great life and uh, he was 93. Oh, bless him. How wonderful. He's cognizant to the end. Yeah. You know, <gasps> He, Fabulous. What I would say is he landed the plane perfectly. Uh, <laughs> but we, we had a uh, we had a memorial service this spring for him in mm -hmm. Syracuse, and and when I came home, I I don't go to the cemetery very much. But when I came mm -hmm. home, I went because I really felt Max when the whole family mm. was together. And, oh gosh! And then I went and you know just told him really missed you this weekend, and he. And his grandfather, he and both of his grandfathers were very close. But Oh, uh, were they? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> thankfully, my father died before Max did. Father would have been devastated. And I don't know, I would have been devastated trying to tell him what happened. Hey. Uh, and it devastated Meg's father. You know, mm, but, uh, sure it would. Yeah. But uh, an event like that really brought him close to me. But I. I just sometimes I'll how you doing, buddy? Mm. Yeah, thinking about you, yeah. And that it's just I guess another way of keeping him present. I don't know. Absolutely. And when you say that, you're expressing the love for him. I, I, I am, but it's usually for me more a way of expressing my sadness. I'll be hit by oh, a wave is of it? sadness, uh, and, and I will just talk to him, and and that. Not that that, I guess it's just a way of dealing with it. You know? mm -hmm. And whatever works, uh, it's amazing uh, and, how we, yeah. we intuitively find these ways, don't we? Well, it is. And, and, and I'm very cognizant, especially early on, uh, of not hesitating to 
speak of him the way I would speak of my other children. You know, if mm-hmm. something happens where I think of him, if I'm talking to a friend of mine and I and they bring up a movie or a comic or something, and you know, if if my daughter, if I was going to say to them, "Oh, my daughter loves that movie," why not say, "Oh, Max loved that movie." So yeah. I I talk about him because he remains one of my children. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also understand that if I'm talking about him, it signals to whomever I'm speaking to that he's still present to me. Yes. I'm okay with it. Yeah. I'm okay talking about him. If you want to bring him up to me, that's okay. There's a lot when I do that. Sometimes I do it with a purpose. Yeah. Sort of bringing the elephant into the room. Yeah, or at least talking about it. Exactly. It, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, we're, almost out of time, Ivan. So enjoyed speaking with you. I just wondered if there was words of wisdom you'd like to leave our listeners with who may be going through a similar loss. Grief is love worked for me and blunted the thorns. Mm. Uh, and, And if you think of it that way, maybe it will ameliorate the pain, you know, ease the pain and give it a try. Okay, so that's what helped you, Grief is Love, as you move through your book. People are interested in it. Where might they be able to get it? Well, I keep trying to catch his eye as, you know, as they say, wherever you buy your books, it, it's, okay. certainly on, it's certainly on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh, it's in, it should be in most bookstores. I know it is available in Canada. The paperback is coming out in the fall. Oh, it is? Uh, there is an audio version that I read. It might sound a little slow because of my drawl, but uh, stick <laughs> with it. You, I, you will get to the end. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So thank you for asking. Yeah. Oh, you're so welcome. I'll make sure that I put a link at least to Amazon when I, I put the, the episode oh, together. Um, just so people, if they're interested know where to find you. Terrific. That's a wrap, as I like to say. If you've enjoyed listening and have gained some grief wisdom, please click on the button below and you'll be notified when another episode in the podcast drops. Please know you don't ever have to grieve alone. There is support available. Just reach out. Until next time, listeners, I'm Anne. Bye-bye for now. 